Welcome to FinTech Family Hour. This is Zach Anderson Pettit, Content Director at Money 2020 by Day and your host by night. We have a unique one this week, folks. You may have seen some news about a SPAC last week. Better? Better mortgage, anyone? A SPAC in this market, you say? Yes, and the stock is down and the public perception is exactly what you'd expect. And that's why Vishal, CEO at Better, is on the show today. Vishal hasn't spoken publicly much since the SPAC, and he came on to set the record straight from his point of view. Candidly, I don't know what I think of all this yet. I don't think I understand SPACs well enough. I don't think I necessarily understand the public or private markets well enough to really have an opinion. So I asked some questions, and then I had some opinions at the end, but mostly just questions. I would be very curious to hear what you all think. Please let us know in the tweeters. It was an interesting discussion, if nothing else. Semi-emotional, semi-numbers related. It was interesting. I'm very curious to see what you all think. This episode is brought to you by FS Vector, the firm for innovative financial services. And without further ado, here's Vishal. All right, Vishal, how you feeling, man? Good. I'm good. I mean, uh, it was uh, quite an experience getting the deal done over the line, getting it over. Uh, you know, now we're recapitalized and really in good shape to survive in 2024 and thrive in 2025. When did you found better? 2014? In 2014. Okay. So let's go back in the past week, but you know, maybe we'll delve into some uh, even more history than that. I want to start with something that that is not it's not contentious or anything like that but i want to just start with like talking about the story right like like what has happened over kind of the last week but more so i would love to even go further back and understand kind of how how the decision got made for this back to happen right i can imagine in in the market as it is today private market funding is not an easy thing like the you know it's a, it's an interesting time to be alive so i'd say I think everybody knows who better is. I think everybody has a sense of who you are. Um, so let's just start with what pushed you towards the decision to do the SPAC and to do the IPO. Let's start there and then we'll we'll have some fun after. Sure. Well, the decision to do the SPAC was made back in 2021 when we were approached with an opportunity to receive over $1.25 billion in committed financing after the completion of the SPAC and uh, from SoftBank and Novator Partners. And we thought that that was really attractive financing because it locked in a valuation and it locked in the amount of money that we would get no matter what happened. And unlike an IPO, which is underwritten or most of the SPAC deals at the time, which are, under, uh, which are underwritten by traditional Wall Street investment banks, this was underwritten by SoftBank and by Novator. And so we were contractually guaranteed the capital that we were gonna receive without any chance of a retrade or a change in price or a change in terms. So we started the transaction path. Now the transaction took almost two years to close because it took a while for the SEC review. We had a couple of times we had to revise our S4, but ultimately we decided even in today's market that we were gonna proceed forward with the SPAC because with the SPAC, we got $565 million of capital at a valuation that was the 2021 valuation because that was what had been contractually agreed to between us and SoftBank and Novator. 
And honestly, in today's market to raise that $565 million in the private markets would be very, very difficult. That's more than the money that has been raised by most fintechs, I think, all in total this year, right? So um, we were able to raise a significant amount of capital to put that money on the balance sheet, which effectively means that the company has a substantially longer runway than most companies typically do of our size and effectively means that we have the capacity to continue to invest in our technology to make the mortgage process better. And then on the other end, as interest rates come back down to thrive again in the same way that we did in 2019, 2020, and 2021. It's a lot of positive stuff, Vishal. And I feel like you know, reading press clippings and just like paying, being a fintech nerd, right? Like you don't run a fintech podcast if you're not a fintech nerd. And just looking at the world of headlines about better, looking at the world of headlines about Vishal, like I've literally seen your face just like coming across Twitter and all these, you know, just, just, just you're, you're being written about a lot. I wouldn't say that the things that are being written about you at this point are all that positive, not about you, but you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of like, oh my God, they were worth this much and now they're worth this much. Or it's, you know, ah, the, you know, the value of the company has disappeared in, uh, you know, four days, but you're telling me that there's more nuance and there's more, there's more to unpack here than potentially just the schadenfreude and like kind of fear mongering porn that we seem to have going on around this conversation. So so you're saying this is a positive because I think people are going to hop on this podcast and they're going to say, wait, I thought that SPAC didn't go the way that he wanted it to go. Like, I thought it was supposed to go up, right? But there's more nuance to it. There's This was a fundraise, not necessarily what one would think of as, you know, an IPO that's going to the moon sort of thing. Help help us unpack that because I don't think that most people get what that going, is. Going public, going, going public was the requirement to unlock $565 million of additional capital for the company. And so we went public. Makes total sense. And I think for a lot of people, what they saw was they don't understand the pipe aspect, right? I think that's a pretty standard thing that it's just like, especially if you're just like half, you know, you made, I've made two angel investments. It's amazing that I understand even halfway what a pipe is, right? But I think most people don't really get that. So they see this like, they see, you know, the stock price just plummeting or whatever. But, and I mean, I was talking to Bristol, the wonderful, wonderful Bevel leader over there, not the leader. We know there's a one above her, but we love Bristol. Um, and one of the things that she was explaining to me was kind of the, the, the commitment, right? And you were talking about that up front was there was a commitment. There was a very clear outcome at the end of this that was capital, right? But it, the, all of the press clippings say blood is in the water. So I guess at the end of the day, I guess my question is you haven't commented much since since the 23rd, 24th, why are we having this conversation? Is it because you want to clarify these pieces? It'd be like, talk to me more about like why you're coming out and talking about this. Well, I think we're, we're having a conversation because I think there are a lot of people out there that may have points of view on betters performance, but I think there are two points of view that are important. One is what's the company's point of view. The company's point of view is the company is now the third best capitalized mortgage company out of 4,000 mortgage companies in America. Two, what is the conversation from the consumer's perspective? The consumers are going to get better rates, a better, faster, cheaper, easier process for their mortgage, even more so than they ever did before, because better is going to be able to invest in its technology, invest in its customer experience, invest in making rates lower for our customers. I think 
neither of those people's point of view is out there in the mar- in 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 the Twitter sphere or the social sphere or the or the, you know the press sphere. Ultimately, if you think about what makes better able to continue to thrive, the product is simply cheaper, faster, and easier for life's biggest financial transaction. And if we make a product that is cheaper, faster, and easier for consumers to use to finance their home, there's going to be value in the company that we create. Help me understand the nuances and why SoftBank, and this is maybe just a dumb question, but why wouldn't SoftBank just plow that in in a private round? Why is that pipe such an important piece? Why is a SPAC different than just you know a private round being led by them in a classical fashion? I, I couldn't tell you what they were thinking, but they chose to proceed down this path. Gotcha. Okay. Well, does it, is there a difference in terms of benefit to you all, or was that like them put that like that was kind of them pushing, and that was the way the deal was going to get done, sort of thing? Ultimately, I think had we stayed private, there would have been uh, there are benefits to staying private. There are benefits to being a public company. You know, I started working on Wall Street when I was fourteen, and the number one thing that's you know, I, when I when I when, when someone asked me what it's going to take to succeed, right? He said, work hard and buy low and sell high. And so ultimately, the stock price will do what it will do, but we have to continue to do what we can do, which is work hard. And, you know, when, you know, consumers if uh, or investors have an opportunity, if there are lots of people selling and not enough people buying, and there's an opportunity to, to invest, you typically want to invest when the stock price is low and, you know, sell when the stock price is high. Makes total sense. I think that brings me back to like the people having a misconception of, you know, I think, I think that there's people that after the, after the weekend, without the context of what you're talking about would have thought that better was like dying or something right like i I think that there is a very strong perception out there that things are falling apart and i'm not sure if that company still exists so i'm really glad that you're actually taking the time and having this conversation with me vishal because that is a very different conversation and i if i were you i would honestly be a little bit pissed and kind of screaming from the rooftops a little bit so i'm I'm impressed that you've been able to contain yourself actually over the last last like week or whatever it's been. How, how has that been for you personally? I, I want to tell you, 20 years ago, around this time, the stock price of Amazon was like a dollar a share. The newspapers were screaming Amazon.bomb. And people were worried about the company going bust. But Amazon had raised about a billion dollars through a convertible bond issuance. And it was the most productive, innovative time in the company's existence. And they came out of it launching Amazon Prime. They came out of it launching AWS. They came out of it launching a whole bunch of stuff that people now take for granted. but. Again, ultimately, these are the times when, from the dot-com days, we, we say if the consumer keeps on clicking and coming to your store, you got to get up and you got to serve them. And if you keep doing that every day, in and out, without fail, ultimately, you're going to be the one that wins. 
Now let's take just a moment to talk about our exclusive sponsor and the team that makes this all possible, FS Vector. FS Vector is the firm for innovative financial services. That means a lot of things, but most of all, what it means right now is a path to clarity. The policy and regulatory landscape hasn't felt this unclear in a long time. From banking to cryptocurrency and everything in between, uncertainty is rampant. We know there's no crystal ball, but the closest thing we have can be good advisors, not consultants, as we talked about in the previous episode, but advisors. Navigating uncertainty isn't a job for a noob. That's why FS Spectre has experienced advisors from successful founders to ex-regulators to experts in really all fields. Reason-based, justifiable decision-making that you can clearly <clears throat> show your work to regulators and auditors. It's never been so important to show your work. I wouldn't have started recommending FS Vector to founder friends before they were a sponsor if I really didn't trust their expertise. And I do. And that's why they're a sponsor. If I was building something new right now, I'd be working with FS Vector. I recommend all my friends to them. As I said, if you're building something new, evolving something that exists, or not sure about how to handle a unique situation in the world of financial services, FS Vector can help. Go to fsvector.com and tell them Zach sent you. So in the midst of all this, and I know you can't necessarily share numbers or anything like this, but, and I mean, honestly, if they weren't clicking, you'd probably still say yes, but I'm going to ask anyway, are they clicking like in the midst of the SPAC and everything else? Does the average American consumer give half a shit about that? Or are they still, they still just needing a refinance? The average American consumer does not care about a company's stock price. The average American consumer doesn't care about what articles they see in the newspaper. The average American consumer is saying, I'm buying a house. And this company can save me 45 basis points per year on average. So on a $400,000 mortgage, that's $1,800 a year. And that's in our public financials that last quarter, you know, in, the la- in Q1 of this year, we saved consumers on average 45 basis points on their interest rate. If this company can save me $1,800 a year on my 30-year mortgage, which means, you know, I'm going to save over $50,000 going with this company versus some other company and their process is online, and they have a product called One Day Mortgage, where if I qualify, I can get a mortgage commitment letter in one day and save myself tons of hassle and tons of headache. Ultimately, that's what customers care about. Yeah, but I mean, they do they do some digging too, right? Like I, I used to work at MBKC and the we were, you know, always one of the kind of the top mortgage a nerd wallet you know, whatever those lists, right? Like the, the rate table sort of things. And we were always one of the top ones. And I did hear, I mean, I think a good amount of consumers would do, would do research, especially on like the origination piece. So I think maybe it's, I, I get what you're saying as far as, you know, a refi, especially they're like no relationship there, but I think like an origination, they will do a little bit more. And I candidly, I'm not as deep into the better current product as I should be. How much are you guys originating versus uh, versus refining at this point? We're 90% purchase. No shit. Really? That's wild. Wasn't that a complete inverse? Like not that long? It was ago? complete inverse. It was it was totally the opposite two years ago. And was the was it the inverse because of the market or was it the inverse because of where you were at technologically or like back end infrastructure? Okay, gotcha. 
But the product was built to do refinance mortgages. In the past 18 months, we had to do a hard pivot to doing purchase mortgages. And we have done that hard pivot as so much so that 90% of our customer base today is getting a purchase mortgage with better. That's wild. That is, I'm totally distracted. We're supposed to talk about a SPAC and I'm over here like absolutely shocked because and, I- and People first said that you are not going to be able to do refinance mortgages online. So we proved them wrong. But then they said you can do that for refinances, but you can never do that for purchase mortgages. And you know, 18 months later, we're, we're, we're proving them wrong again. And ultimately, we're just going to be the co- little company that could and the little company that did. Yeah. I mean, I remember the the bank I was referring to definitely had a person or two inside of it that was like, candidly, maybe personally, not your biggest fan, if I'm honest. Like, I've gotten to know you a little <laughs> bit and I, uh, I don't necessarily show that, share that perspective totally anymore. But, I, you know, back then I was just like, who's this guy? He's doing internet stuff and mortgages should be, you know, it's like, stop it. Um so, and I definitely do remember people saying, no way in hell this guy is going to originate a fucking mortgage online ever, you know, like and as if he's going to do purchase business. <laughs> that's cute. Right. So that's absolutely shocking for me to hear that you're doing 90% purchase. That's, that's wild. I think your ability to hold on, I, <laughs> this is kind of a wild statement, but I think you are either the most purpose driven, maniacal focused entrepreneur I've ever met or you're fucking crazy brother one of the two and I like really want to believe that it's the entrepreneur like the really like I, th- I think it is that but it, like watching what you have trudged through I mean with the layoff that was you know a thing in the news this I mean and it you know you keep coming out the other end of it and I think I think there's probably a certain amount of schadenfreude and there's a certain amount of like Twitter ganging up on people. And I think that at the end of the day, like there's always things that any of us could have done differently. But I think just the fact that you're putting one foot in front of the other and like continuing to move, I find very impressive. I have two questions left for you. I do. I, I wonder about some of the decisions you make from the outside, but I do respect you. I will say that I definitely do. And for the record, the questions I have from the outside are just be mostly, I think, because I don't understand the fucking industry completely. I'm just like, wait, what? He did that? Like, that seems nuts. Okay. So my two questions, one, I'm going to ask them both together because I actually think that they kind of go together. I kind of asked you earlier um, how you were doing and you've been media trained quite well. So you answered a different question and I really want to know how you're doing. And the second question is... If you could go back and do any, which like retrospect is a bitch, but if you could go back and do this again, w- would you do it again? Would you do something different? Like, I, I'm sure that it was, I mean, a two year trek with SEC probes that I want to ask you about, but I know you probably can't talk about them is, is hard. So how the hell are you? And would you do it again? Those are my two, two questions in one. I feel like ultimately history will validate and vindicate us for the decisions that we've made. And I think going through this process when the company was still young and small has taught us so much that we're not going to make those mistakes when the stakes were even higher. And so I just look at it all as part of a life journey to learn and get better every day. And 
you know, there's a lot of times that I didn't enjoy the past two years, but ultimately, you know, what kept me going was the fact that we were helping regular people and transforming their lives by allowing them to get a better house in a better school district with a better commute and all the other things that a better mortgage does for you. And ultimately, those people, when they write thank you notes and they send you stuff, I mean, it's not in the public eye, right? Those are really amazing. And those are amazing experiences that I didn't want to get away from. So at multiple points in time over the past three years, people from within the mortgage industry and outside the mortgage industry have come to seek to buy better. Like household names that you would know well have sought to buy better. And we didn't sell because we thought that would have been the easy way out. And we kept going. And now that you know we have shored up our balance sheet so that survival is not an issue, we're just playing to see how big we can win it when we come back. And that's exciting. That is. And because of the way that you finished that last question, I have to ask, and I don't know, I mean, maybe you and Masa don't talk that often, but I would imagine with the amount that is coming in from SoftBank that you have I've at least met the man. I'm curious, what are your interactions with Masa like, or what is kind of, what's that like? Because I, I would imagine you two have a lot, a lot to share and a lot of interesting conversations. Masa is an amazing teacher. And he's a, he bets big and he bets hard. And sometimes those bets go right and other times they go wrong. But, you know, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Ultimately, he has been, at the forefront of investing in some of the companies that have become the biggest companies in the world, right? He's done it four times, five times. And, and ultimately, you know, the press is still like, this is a crazy guy, but realistically SoftBank's a hundred billion dollar market cap company that's owned by its founders or more than a hundred billion dollar market cap company that, that is owned and controlled by a founder that has done things his way as since he was 19 years old, it's entirely self-made. So it's, you know, you can kind of complain about some of the stuff they do, but realistically, it's, the man is a, a survivor and a, and a visionary. I mean, Vishal, at the end of the day, brother, like, I think there's a lot of people out there that I've said this previously in this episode, even, but I think there's a lot of people out there that love to hate you. And I think there's a lot of people out there that love to hate Masa. And I think at the end of the day, like this idea that we're going to have outsized returns from regular people, I struggle with so much. Like this, this idea that the best stand-up comedy is going to come from somebody that's been sitting in a cubicle or like the idea that the best company is going to come out of, you know, somebody that was actually trained at HBS, like maybe, but I don't know. I kind of feel like it's going to be the person that you know, started working at when they were 14, when they, by the way, weren't supposed to, like, that's not legal Vishal. Um, but you know, <laughs> like that's, I think there's something there that, you know, I think there is probably a set of journalistic questions that are, you know, hard hitting that I should have asked you through this. But at the end of the day, I think I, I am impressed by crazy people that run after shit and run through walls and you, you're going to break some shit when you run through the walls. You know, and I think 
I, I've learned a lot through this conversation, actually. It's only been like 23 minutes and talking with Bristol about this whole experience. Like when I started the conversation with her, I was like, oh my God, is he going to, he's like, Vishal's actually going to be willing. I mean, I know we've talked before a few times, but like, he's actually going to be willing to talk on the record with me about this. And I was like, what? Like I was shocked. And after talking to you, I, I get it now. Like you're in a pretty good place. It seems like company's not in a terrible place. This is some public perception issues we're working on, but I guess that's why we're having the conversation, right? And like, good. This I, this is not how I expected this to go, Vishal. This I'm happy. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. I, I appreciate it. I mean, the public perception issues are going to continue until we have our first profitable quarter. And when then we have that first profitable quarter, people are going to be like, wait, how did that happen? And then we're going to have a couple of profitable quarters. And then people are going to be like, wait, how did that happen? And then it's going to seem obvious. But until then, it's going to be very easy to take you know, shots from the balcony at better and at myself. And I will still take them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, that's okay. I, that's just the price of building a generational company. I don't think you can name a single generational company out there today whose survival was not in question at some point in the company's history. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I was saying earlier about like, <laughs> you're either a maniacally driven entrepreneur that just like cannot be stopped or you're a fucking crazy person um, or both. Maybe that's the answer is just both at the end of the day. But Anyway, Vishal, this has been super helpful. I think I, I at this point don't have, I don't think any more, you know, huge questions for you or anything like that. But I think, I think I want to say one thing, which is when you have that profitable quarter, Bristol or you shoot me a note, let's have you back on. And then let's have a conversation from there. Cause I think this is going to be a fun, fun story to track over time. Thank you, Zach. I look forward to it. You have no idea how, how much I look forward to that. Cheers, brother. Cheers. I appreciate you, Vishal. All Thanks right. for taking the time, man. Cheers. Hey! Thanks for listening. If you're still listening, you're probably reaching for your phone to pick your next podcast or switch to music or just call it a day because you can't believe how much valuable information you just took in. But before you pick that next thing, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, and all that jazz. Generally scream from the rafters about how much you love FinTech Family Hour. Thank you again to our sponsor, FS Vector. And until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, your costs low, and I love you all. Bye.